Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 19. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Just curious, who's been with me since the introduction of John? Raise your hand. Since the introduction of John. Okay, that's, that's a good number of you. And uh, who's been with me um, since chapter 13? If chapter th- 13 in John. Okay, that's a good number of you as well. Then you, you'll know then that in John chapter 2 through 12, and this is where you might want to write down, John chapters 2 through 12, Jesus has been saying, my hour has not yet come. In John chapters 2 through 12, Jesus has been saying, my hour has not yet come. Then beginning in chapters 13 through 17, Jesus says, my hour has come. Did you get that? When Jesus talked about the hour, he's not talking about 60 minutes. Somebody say amen. He's talking about the hour that he came to, anybody know? To die. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. He's talking about the hour that he came to die. Well, this morning in our text, we come to that long-awaited hour. We come to the time that he, that's been building up for 33 years for Jesus, uh, for two and a half years for us. This is the hour. We come to the death of Jesus on the cross, the climax of the history of man. As a matter of fact, in a redemptive sense, it's the climax of the history of God in the sense that this is the event that secures our salvation. Somebody needs to say amen. Amen. This is the event that secures our salvation. Simply, this morning, we come to the crucifixion of Christ. Now, if you've been with us, you know, you know that Jesus has been arrested and bound and taken before Annas and then brought before the chief priests and the elders and then brought before Pilate and questioned by Pilate. Look at chapter 18 and verse 38. Come on with me. Y'all stay with me now. All right. Y'all, y'all seem a little sleepy this morning, but you'll be all right. Right. Y'all hungry. Amen. Look at, look at uh, chapter 18. Look at verse 38. All right. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod thinking Herod would release him. He couldn't find anything worthy of death. He sends Jesus back to Pilate. Pilate is dumbfounded. He doesn't know what to do. You know, somebody once rightly said, look at me, please. Somebody once rightly said that people are like tea bags. You never know what flavor they are until you put them in hot water. Isn't that true? I just checked Facebook. Somebody posted that on Facebook. They, they put that quote and then they put Pastor Rodney. I didn't actually say it, but I'll, I'll take it. And... Um, <laughs> uh, it's very true. People are like tea bags. You never know what flavor they are until you get them in hot water. And once in hot water, you really see what a person is made of. Isn't that right? 
And we've seen what Pilate is made of. Matthew chapter 27, verse 22, write that down. Pilate said, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And last week we talked about that, didn't we? You, you, we all have to answer that question someday. Amen. You got to answer that question if you're a believer or, or not. You got to answer, what will you do with the man called Christ? Well, the crowd said, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate gave into the crowd and handed Jesus over to be crucified. And he washed his hands and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Now, if you've been with us, you know that Pilate is trying to get Jesus off his hands. Look at chapter 19 in verse 7 and 8. Look at chapter 19 in verse 7 and 8. The Jews brought Jesus to Pilate. Pilate learns that Jesus claimed to be the son of God. And verse 8, look at verse 8 carefully, which Pilate then becomes more afraid. Now, why is Pilate more afraid? Because I told you last week that the Greeks were superstitious and they believed the gods could empower humans and give humans supernatural abilities or the gods themselves would leave God world and come to the earth. So when Pilate heard that Jesus claimed to be the son of God, he is afraid because he just beat up God. And if in fact Jesus is God, and if in fact Jesus is from God world, then that means you just beat up God. Houston, we have a problem. So he's the more afraid. Matthew 27, 19, his wife said to him, honey, don't have, I had a dream about this guy and it wasn't a good dream. She said, so have nothing to do with this righteous man. So, so the Jews are telling Pilate he claims to be God. Pilate is afraid. Verse 12, look at verse 12, chapter 19. Pilate then, from then on, Pilate wanted to release Jesus. But the Jews said, if you release him, y'all reading the same Bible I am? If you release him, you are what? No friend of Caesar. Look at verse 14 and 15. It was the preparation of the Passover. Pilate walks out and says, here's, here's ecclesiastical Latin for you. Eke rex vester. Eke, E-C-C-E, eke rex vester, V-E-S-T-E-R. Behold your king. Earlier he said, behold the man, eke homo. Behold your king, eke rex vester. Pilate said, behold your king. They said, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? They said, we have no king but Caesar. Look at verse 16. Then he delivered Jesus to them to be crucified. And so they led him away. That's where we left off last week. We pick up in verse 17 this week. I've titled this sermon, The Execution of the King. John chapter 19, saints, we pick up in verse 17. If you're looking at verse 17, would y'all, for my sake, give me a hearty amen. amen. Thank you. And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull. In January, I'm going to take y'all there. We're taking a trip to Israel. Y'all excited to go? Oh, we're going to have a good time. I'm going to take you to the place of the skull which is called in Hebrew, what's saying? Say it with me, Golgotha, where they crucify him 
two and two others with him, one on the left side or one on either side, one on the left and one on the right, and Jesus in the center. Now, Pilate wrote a title and he put it on the cross, and the writing was this, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Oh, now you want to get bold. Okay, I wrote that in my margins, right? Now you want to get bold, okay? Uh-huh. Verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and they made four parts to each soldier apart. And also, notice the garments, and also a tunic. Now the tunic was without seam. That's important. Woven from top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast thoughts for it, whose it shall be, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. I think in the 30 years that I've been preaching, I think I've probably read this at least 500 times, at least, minimum. I know I've taught it um, 19 because I teach it pretty much every year here in the church. It comes up throughout the Gospels, largely. I don't know that this story ever gets old. It never gets old. Never gets old. Interesting. And it is also interesting how when you read God's word, no matter how spiritual you think you are, amen, you can get something different out of God's word every time you read it. Can I get a witness somewhere? In, it's somewhere, somewhere. You, get you can get something, something different every single time you read it because it's the living word. That's why. This book is, is like no other book ever written. This book is living. This book is God-breathed. This is not like what's on the New York bestseller times list. Huh? This book is God's word. It's the word of God. It's breathed. Therefore, when you read it, that's why you get something different out of it every time because it's the living word of God. Did y'all pick that up? It's the living word of God. So if you were with me last week, raise your hand. Were you with me last week? Okay, if you were, you know then that by now, Jesus has been scourged. And we talked about scourging last week. Graphic, beyond comprehension. If you missed that teaching, you can pick up a CD in the bookstore. His back is laid bare. Beaten beyond all recognition. Isaiah 52, 14. Memory verse, write it down. Isaiah 52, 14. His visage or his face. After they beat Jesus, his face was more marred than any other man. Isaiah 52, 15 tells us that. Jesus is standing there covered in his own blood. Matthew 27, 24 through 25 tells us when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, 
but rather that the crowd was rising and getting revved up, you know, that crowd mentality. He took water and he washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. That is shocking. And with that, the people of Israel indicted themselves in the death of Jesus. Now, at this point, the earthly ministry of Jesus is over. His ministry from chapters 13 through chapter 17 is over. His public ministry and private ministry is over. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 brings us to the apex of all that we've been talking about since chapter 13. Verse 17 brings us to the culmination and the combination of the divine purpose of God intersecting with the sinfulness of man. If you're taking notes, write that down. The divine purpose of God intersects with the sinfulness of man to bring about our salvation and redemption. Remember I told you, and I, this is now my fourth week probably telling you the same thing. The beating, the scourging, the crucifixion was carefully crafted and planned by God. Everything that happened was predicted and prophesied in Scripture. The cross was no accident or misfortune. The Bible teaches that Jesus willingly and voluntarily laid down his life for our sins. Nobody, listen, if you don't leave here with nothing else, leave here with this. Nobody killed Jesus. Jesus laid down his life, the Bible says. He gave his life. Nobody killed people. Oh, poor Jesus. They took Jesus and they killed him and that just wasn't good. No, 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 no. Nobody killed him. He came to die. He gave his life. As a matter of fact, before he came, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit got together and decided that the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, would come to the earth, take on flesh, put on flesh, live as a man, die for the sins of the world, and return to heaven. This was a, 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 a act of the Trinity, of the triune God, decided before Jesus came to the earth. He laid down his life. John chapter 10, verse 17 tells us, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. And nobody takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And somebody read it with me. And I have power to take it again. You see, Jesus was born for this one purpose. Are you listening? Jesus was born to be a sacrifice for sin. He was born to be made sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God. It was God's plan for Jesus to be crucified by the hate of men and the will of God. Think about that. Okay, think, have you ever thought of this? God uses hate to accomplish his purpose. Think about that. He uses hate. Think about this. God works his purposes through holy men and sinful men. A sinner of the worst kind cannot thwart the plan of God. God is in control of everything. Now, I want you to look at verse 17 again, and I want you to look at the first five words of verse 17. And he bearing his cross. 
Let me tell you a little bit about the history of the cross. First of all, let me say that there is no more horrible death possible than the death by crucifixion. Even the Romans regarded crucifixion as a horrible thing. It was considered inappropriate and impolite and appalling and degrading to even mention crucifixion in public. Did y'all hear that? Like it's inappropriate to talk about it in public. It was so cruel. Cicero called it the cruelest and most horrifying death possible. He said it's the extreme and ultimate punishment. Josephus called it the most pitiful of deaths. Tacitus, a Roman historian, said it was a despicable death. Crucifixion was a barbaric form of capital punishment. It was invented by the Persians, adopted by the Greeks, and perfected by the Romans. The Persians invented it because they believed that the earth was sacred. And it was sacred to the earth god Ormazd. If you're taking notes, O-R-M-A-D-Z, Ormazd. We have the word Mazda, Mazda. So if you drive a Mazda, you're a pagan. I'm just kidding, I'm I'm just kidding. You might want to sell your car. And uh, just kidding. But in order not to defile the earth, listen, this is what the, the, the Persians came up with. In order not to defile the earth, you would lift the person up off the ground so his body wouldn't die on the earth. Did you know, listen, did you know that there were different forms of the cross? Did you know that? Here. First of all, we have what's called in Latin the crux simplex. The crux simplex. That looked like a capital I, if you will, a capital I, a single piece of wood without what is called the transom. A transom is a horizontal beam. You know that horizontal beam going across the cross? That's called a transom. And then there was the crux de casate, the crux de casate. That is the, um, again, this is Latin, that was like an X-shaped cross. As a matter of fact, Peter, history tells us that Peter was um, crucified upside down on the X-shaped cross, the Crux de Casate, uh, also known as St. Andrew's Cross. And then there was the Crux Comisia, the Crux Comisia. Uh, that looked like a capital T, also known as St. Anthony's cross. And then finally, we have the, cro- the crux emissia. That looked like a small t. And this is the kind of cross that Jesus died on. This cross came with the transom or the horizontal beam across it. So when you think about it, listen, there was nothing Christian about the cross. When you think about it, there's nothing Christian about the cross. The cross became the symbol of Christianity after Constantine became a Christian in 313 AD. Constantine the Great, he saw a flaming cross in the heavens and he saw the inscription in hoc signo vince Latin, which means by this sign thou shalt conquer. And he claimed on the following night that Jesus appeared to him and told him or ordered him to take his standard or take that cross as a standard uh, for uh, uh, as a sign, a standard as a sign of the cross. 
So originally the cross had nothing to do with Christianity. And we should understand that there's nothing special about the cross, that there is nothing unique about the cross. What's unique about the cross is the man that was hanging on it. There's nothing special about the cross. I grew up Catholic. Anybody, anybody? anybody? I grew up Catholic. Then you remember the priest would wear a cross around his neck and he would often kiss the cross. Don't you remember? I never understood what that meant. And then when I got older, I understood what that, I understand what it means now. And, and uh, I don't know why he does that. I don't, still don't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I, there's nothing special about the cross. People have asked me, Pastor Rodney, why don't we have a cross? When you think about it, and maybe you haven't noticed, but think about it, we don't have a cross in the church. In either building, there's no cross. We don't have a cross anywhere. Uh, some churches have crosses. They have them in, you know, somewhere in the church or in the windows. To some people, the cross is important. To some people, the cross is almost, they almost deify the cross because to them, it is a symbol of something Christian. When you do the homework and Google it, you find there's no Christian connection to the cross at all. The only Christian connection to the cross is that our Savior hung on the cross. But even in Jesus' day, the cross was not unique because when you came into Rome, both sides of the street were lined with people hanging on the cross. So there was nothing really unique about the cross. Somebody once said, the cross showed man at his worst and God at his best. Nothing great or wonderful ever happened on the cross. Nothing great or wonderful was supposed to happen on the cross. But on the cross of Jesus, something great and wonderful happened. Our sins were forgiven. Our iniquity was pardoned and cleansed. Our guilt was eradicated. Our life was transformed by the power of God and our victory was won and the love of God was demonstrated to man. Can somebody clap your hands and say amen. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Now look at verse 18. Two things I want you to take away from verse 18. Notice, first of all, I want you to notice the brevity of the statement where they crucified him. That's it? Where they crucified him. Crucifixion, here's why. Why is it so brief? When you read the other gospels, it says, and they crucified him where they crucified him, and they crucified him, and that's it. And then they go on in the story. So why so brief? Because as I told you, it was so terrible, you didn't, in that day, you didn't elaborate on it. None of the gospel writers elaborate on the crucifixion. We know what we know about crucifixion because of history because of extra biblical evidence, if you will. That means outside the Bible. But the gospel writers don't elaborate on it. They don't talk about it. They just say quickly where they crucified him. As bluntly as that, as brief as that, that's it. And then notice they crucified him between two thieves, one on the right and one on the left, and Jesus in the center. You see those words, Jesus in the center? I want you to underline that. We're going to come back and talk about that in a minute, Jesus in the center. Well, let me tell you this story real quick of the preacher who was dying. 
And he sent a message for his banker and his lawyer, both church members, to come to his house. And when they arrived, they were ushered up to his bedroom. And as they entered the room, the preacher held out his hand and he motioned for them to come sit on either side of the bed. Well, the preacher grasped their hand and sighed contently and smiled and stared at the ceiling. And for a time, nobody said anything. Both the banker and the lawyer were touched and flattered that the preacher would even ask them to be with him during his final hours. Well, they were also also puzzled that the preacher had never even given any indication that he particularly liked either of them. So they remember his many long, uncomfortable sermons about greed and covetousness that made them squirm in their seats. And finally, the banker said, preacher, why'd you ask us to come? And the old preacher mustered up his strength. And then he said weakly, Jesus died between two thieves. And that's how I want to go. <laughs> Amen. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.